You're listening to the Quince podcast. After nearly 2 years, the much awaited and long overdue report by the Joint Parliamentary Committee on the Data Protection Bill of 2019 was tabled on 22nd November. Though the report has not been made available in the public domain yet, as many as 7 MPs from the Congress, Trinamool Congress and the BJD have submitted dissent notes to the committee since some clauses of the draft bill give the center sweeping powers to collect and process data. While Congress MP Jairam Ramesh in his dissent note stated that the bill assumes that quote-unquote constitutional rights to privacy arises only when operations and activities of private companies are concerned, TMC MPs Derek O'Brien and Mahama Moitra described the 2019 bill as Orwellian in nature and raised questions on the functioning of the committee. onto a third party the blank check of relaxations given to the center for collecting and using personal and non-personal data is a matter of great concern joining me today to understand what these clauses signal and how concerning they are is bakasha sathya who is legal editor you tuned in to the big story the podcast where we dissect the headline making news for you and i'm your host emmat Seven opposition leaders have submitted dissent notes to the committee in the past 24 hours. These include the Congress's Jairam Ramesh, Manish Tiwari, Gaurav Gogoi, and Vivek Tanka. Trinamool Congress's Derek O'Brien and Mahua Moitra, as as well as Biju Janata Dal's Amar Patnaik, have also articulated their dissent before the committee. Specifically, the MPs have raised concerns regarding two sections of the bill. Section 35, which deals with the power of the centre to exempt any agency of the government from application of the Act. and section 12 which deals with non-consensual processing of data by the state in his dissent note congress's jairam ramesh said that section 35 quote and quote gives almost unbridled powers to the central government to exempt any government agency from the entire act itself unquote this section basically gives the center complete autonomy to exempt any agency from the law in the interest of or to prevent incitement to the commission of any cognizable offense relating to the sovereignty and integrity of india the security of the state friendly relations with foreign states and public order and the last two words public order are crucial to note since they were omitted from the suggestion which mr ramesh provided in his dissent note tmc mp's o'brien and moitra in their joint dissent note also highlighted the same that the committee has failed to introduce proper safeguards in section 35 to prevent its misuse so what is exactly concerning regarding the use of quote unquote public order in this section according to vakasha sasdev the quince legal editor The definition of quote unquote public order has always been in the grey in courts and may be subject to misuse since the center has taken several measures in the past in the name of quote unquote public order. If we look at section 35 the problem is that this was already a provision which was concerning that you're going to create special exceptions for the government where these principles of data protection don't apply. Now if you look at the original draft which the Shri Krishna committee proposed and if you remember that was a, the a, the original draft which they came up with in 2018 was very clearly informed on the basis of the Supreme Court's judgment on the right to privacy. They took a lot of care to kind of make sure that that was there. 
I mean, there were still even concerns even then about the sort of scope within that of of how whether you should really be allowing the state to have this kind of uh, exemption from from these principles of data protection that they can direct that they won't apply when an agency wants to find some information. But if you but if that's a, a narrowly tailored enough provision, then you can say that yes, even though this is a restriction on the right to privacy, it's being done in a narrow way. And you know, it's clearly within the framework of the constitution, which is what the Sri Krishna committee tried to do. So what the, the way they did that was that they said it should only be the interest of uh, sort of national security, like security of the state. And that's a specific term which in when you look at the law. Security of the state is not just sort of anything which can just be considered to be national security. It very specifically kind of deals with actual threats to the country. You know, so you're looking at really proper severe threats to national security, whether from foreign agencies or terrorists, you know, that kind of thing. So like you're not dealing with a minimal thing. And it also specifically included provisions on proportionality, saying that it has to be done in a proportional manner, which again, falls in line with Puttaswami, the Puttaswami judgment, the right to privacy judgment of the Supreme Court, right? Remember the nine-judge privacy judgment, which, you know, it, it says that, yes, that obviously will be situations when people's right to privacy will have to be infringed, but any such infringement has to then be proportionate. It has to be the sort of the least intrusive method required. It has to be something which is clearly tied to a legitimate aim. So, you know, those safeguards which were there were already taken away in the 2019 bill. And that was one of the key things which was supposed to be looked into by this JPC. It was supposed to be saying, you know what, okay, these are situations where the law is now going against the right to privacy, against the Supreme Court's principles. And it's very problematically refused to do that. So this is where the sort of Section 35 uh, amendment, uh, which has been suggested by all the dissenters, you know, if you look at whether it's Jairam Ramesh or even Mahuma Maitra or Derek O'Brien, they've all suggested that there have to be changes there because it currently, like, especially there are two things which, is, which, which are there. One is that it, al it allows a sort of reading down of the, uh, a non-application of the personal data protection uh, principles when it comes to public order as well, right? So unlike Sri Krishna which specifically said security of the state, which is, you know, a higher threshold. It, this also allows it in, in you know, what's for what's public order. Now, the Supreme Court has spent decades in a, and to be fair, slightly muddled way trying to define public order. And it's difficult to say what that really is really at the end of the day, because the court has tried to make a distinction between what's sort of a basic law and order situation and what is a threat to public order. But it's still not entirely clear. And there's been years and years of this kind of back and forth going on on that. And what we see all the time is whether it's the central government, whether it's the state government, whether it's whatever political party loves to be able to try and say, oh, we're doing this in the interest of public order. We're putting this restriction in place, even though they've not truly understood what that is. You know, the, the greatest example was how restrictions were imposed blanketly in Kashmir, right, after August 2019. And the Supreme Court in its Anuradha Basin judgment specifically talked about how, you know, those were not uh, valid because sure you may have a genuine terrorist threat in one part of Jammu and Kashmir, but you can't say that it applies everywhere, right? And therefore you have to have these detailed, clear, you know, like draconian restrictions on the whole state. So these kind of things are uh, how we see that the, the that you can't really trust governments or rely on governments in India to to get that interpretation right. So why even have the scope for that misuse of of the provision in the law, especially when as you know your your expert committee had also recommended not having that in there. And of course, the Section 35, the other key thing is being, which is suggested, is to make sure that there's an explicit thing saying that it has to be person to a law, 
or as some of the others have said, it has to be specifically stated in Section 35 itself that it's going to have to be proportionate. And so that, you know, that, that, that sort of makes sure that you're building in additional safeguards, which would stop this uh, provision from potentially being misused. The second area of concern is Section 12, which, according to the dissent note by O'Brien and Moitra, should be deleted entirely. So, what does this section state? According to the dissent note by Mr. Ramesh, the current text in the section essentially allows the center to process any data without any consent in certain cases, such as where a service or benefit to the user is being granted by the government, issuing of any certification, license or permit to the user, among others. In his dissent note, Mr. Ramesh said that these exemptions should be quote-unquote less sweeping and automatic, adding that the bill quote-unquote creates an exception for the conditions under which the state can collect personal data of individuals without their consent. Any exception and exemption under the law should be narrowly tailored. Unquote. Wakasha adds that Section 12 was one of the primary concerns by experts and politicians in 2019 as well. And the fact that it has not been dealt with after so many years as well is a serious risk for data protection for India. On the face of it, you might think, okay, there's nothing really wrong with this. It seems perfectly fine. But... This one of the key things this comes to is things like the way Aadhaar was being rammed down people's throat for getting benefits. Or now, for instance, there's talk about saying, oh, what about vaccination? So do you say that, oh, if someone's UHID, the you know, universal health ID, if that doesn't have a recognition of, the, of, of vaccination, you can't be guaranteed to have any uh, particular service. Now, all of that requires processing of data without the consent of the person. Now, this is a, a tricky thing which takes us back to that whole debate which even came up during the time of Aadhaar about whether or not you can make that mandatory for people to access uh, benefits and services from the state. Uh, at the first level, this should not be something which is applicable to every possible benefit and service or any possible government scheme. Because remember, it won't just be about, okay, this is your access to PDS. It'll be about, okay, can you get a driving license? Or, okay, can you even get access to a government hospital? Now, these, when you don't have any sort of restrictions on this, this is where it starts to become dangerous, and that's something the Supreme Court recognized in the sort of 2018 Aadhaar judgment as well, right? So what they tried to say was, and they tried to, where they tried to restrict it was saying that where you're dealing with things arising out of the Consolidated Fund of India, there you can start to make these things mandatory. And even there, you know, it said that this should still be, uh, you know, for instance, there it said that even there, if a person doesn't have Aadhaar, you can't deny them the service entirely, but you can say that it needs to be, uh, that it's, it's, it's a relevant factor for getting access to it. Now, why this comes up in the data protection thing as well is that you're looking at, processing of data for things which, as we pointed out, could be for government schemes, could be for government benefits, could be for even doing something like Narega work. Now, that shouldn't require the processing of sensitive personal data or like something which is there just because it's a government scheme. And that's something which Jairam Ramesh, for instance, tries to suggest saying that, you know, okay, restrict it to services which, coming, which are coming out of the Consolidated Fund of India. And uh, over and above that also make sure that there is, he, he's, says that the language of the provision itself should clearly say that it's not that it's not just something which is necessary, that the government considers is necessary, but also has to be something which is proportionate. So if the government can do the same things here without having to press, process a person's personal data, you know, collect that, use that, put it in a database, then it should, you know, it shouldn't be taking, using the, the this section to kind of do that. So, uh, yeah, if you look at what Mahama Mahathir and saying, they're saying just remove this entirely uh, to, you know, just delete this clause because it's it's giving the government access to data which should not be allowed at all. I mean, Jaran Ramesh does seem to kind of fall within a, you know, a sort of balance there where it's saying, okay, make it there, but explicitly make sure that this has to comply with the Supreme Court's requirements, right? So that's one option. Um, 
I mean, if you if you don't want to go with you know deleting the clause entirely, uh, but again, this points to how you know these were issues which were being raised with the bill in twenty nineteen, and it's just not been factored in when you're when the JPC is coming out, and you're actually if it's if we look at the way the the JPC is looking at giving more powers to the government to direct that the data protection authority has to comply with their you know the, 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 with them not just in terms of policy but even in terms of data reactions you're in a position where you know you're making this law worse like as it is the 2019 bill was a dilution from what the shri krishna committee proposed which at least you know it, it, it there were things that it, which it was doing but it was clearly well articulated how to make sure that it didn't fall foul of the law the 2019 bill itself diluted that and now the jpc is actually has not addressed these huge concerns like section 35 and section 12 of the bill were the huge concerns in particular raised and you've not dealt with those at all and in fact you know and, and by not doing that which is the primary purpose you'd imagine of the jpc here uh, i mean that's a that's a that's a serious risk to data protection going forward for According to a Network 18 report, there were over 200 amendments proposed by the committee, out of which 170 were proposed by Chairperson P.P. Chaudhary. And one of these amendments which is likely to become a major flashpoint is the suggestion to include non-personal data within the ambit of the same law. Interestingly, the committee has decided to not do away entirely with the government's idea to bring social media platforms within the ambit of publishers. However, Rather than doing it in a blanket manner, the court has said that the platform should only use a protected intermediary status if they fail to introduce a mandatory verification procedure. When this happens, a social media site can then be held accountable for the user-generated content they host on the platform. But what data concern is solved by labeling social media platforms as quote-unquote publishers of the content that users like you and me post? Wakasha weighs in. So, I mean, there's, there's, there's a certain degree of discomfort, obviously, which the social media intermediaries have when it comes to being treated as publishers. And that's a bigger debate which we're seeing all over the world, right? Should Facebook and Twitter be responsible for the content which is on it? Because this is not necessarily content they're creating, it's content created by a user. It's like, at the end of the day, it's the free speech exercise by us, which is the problem. Now, should the platform itself, which is not creating the content, be held responsible? Now, there are circumstances in which they can be, you can say, right? So suppose someone has flagged that this is clearly hate speech, right? And it clearly goes against your policy. So even if your own internal mechanisms haven't flagged it, which they're entitled to do, like terms of service for all these platforms say that, okay, if you've violated our community standards, then we can take your content down. So if you've committed clear act of hate speech, then they can take that post down, they can suspend your account, they can do all of those things. Now, there's nothing wrong with having some sort of provisions in your data protection law, maybe to even perhaps strengthen those powers of these social media sites. I don't have greater requirements of data protection and of, you know, you could say content regulation standards, which of course doesn't exactly find its place in a data protection bill. But you know, those are the areas where you can consider regulation. The, the issue with the way it's being done here is that it, it's not quite clear to see how there is a connection between you know the sort of problematic content being posted by people on uh, a social media site and a data protection law. Yes, obviously, if they're posting uh, sensitive personal data of someone, they're doxing someone. Then sure, you know, I mean, there's a connection there, so you can talk about having better rules, having penalties for that within this. But the problem here is that it's 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 this attempt to kind of almost regulate content on the site by saying that you know you have to verify all these users and you know have to have something for that otherwise you don't you will lose your status as an intermediary and that's not quite something which you 
which is which should be finding its place in a data protection bill. I think that's the sort of confusion that this just looks like it's almost like a backdoor way to reinforce things which they're trying to do through the IT rules as well, where they're trying to shove through a lot of these this regulation of social media, which is unfortunately uh, at the end of the day not really going to be used to stop actual hate speech, but it's going to be used to almost you seeing the kind of the the, the way uh, just 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 seeing for instance what's happening in Tripura. You can see that that these kind of rules are not going to be used to actually counter hate speech, but uh, but to counter people who are trying to show that there is uh, violence against minorities or show that there is oppression of a particular community. So, it's 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 concerning because it's not quite clear why this is even there in the bill. And as I stated earlier, there are a few positive amendments made to the bill. The Indian Express reports that strict norms regarding data collection from electronic hardware are also included in this bill, rather than just software or digital companies. This, if introduced, will allow the law to frame regulations towards data handling by electronic hardware manufacturers as well, and ties into increasing concerns about Chinese hardware technology such as Huawei's 5G tech, as well as home devices by Amazon or Google. Also, any data fiduciary which passes on information to a third party will also need to mandatorily disclose this information to the person whose data has been passed on. Unfortunately, this will not apply to information passed on for the purposes of state use. Companies will also have to report any breaches of data within 72 hours, which is also good for ensuring better protection of your personal data. For those who are in favor of data localization, the JPC has also suggested that the bill should include a mechanism to bring back sensitive personal data currently in possession of foreign entities to India by requiring them to store copies of that data within the country. The complete report on the data protection bill will be presented to the Lok Sabha in the upcoming winter session of the Parliament, beginning on 29 November. To catch the latest updates for this story, follow the Quint on our social media handles and visit our website. If you liked listening to this episode, please subscribe to the Big Story for episodic updates. We're available on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, GeoSavan, and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms. For other podcasts, please log on to the Quint website, and for any feedback, please shoot an email to podcast at thequint.com. Thanks for listening. Log on to the Quint's website and check out our other podcasts.